Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Okay, well, good evening and welcome everybody to this term's uh, VPC Live. And uh, we are very pleased to have with us Deanna Dow back again to talk us through some exam day tips before, during and after, because we are getting to the business end of the year. And uh, while we've got our year 12s getting ready and excited, we do have other students as well uh, we're preparing for later in the term. So all of this information tonight is going to be incredibly useful. So this is a truly international event again, because even though we've got Deanna is a a Victorian. She's actually uh, coming to us from, where are you at the moment? You're in Abu Dhabi. In Abu Dhabi, uh, where she tells me it's cooled down to a balmy 33 degrees or something like that. So, so over to you, Deanna. Thank you so much, Jackie. Always a pleasure being back here with the VPC. So yes, I am Deanna, uh, academic coach and, and founder at True Coaching. And, and we work very closely with parents teachers and mostly students in preparation for exams and and assessments. So this time of year is always super busy. We have our year 12s heading into their exam period in less than two weeks, about a week and a half until the the first English exam. Um, And year nines to 11s follow shortly after that. So today we're really going to look at the actual exam day itself because we spend a lot of time Uh, preparing and helping students prepare for the academic side, managing their stress leading up to exams. But exam day itself is somewhat of a little mini marathon. So uh, we put together some tips and strategies on on how students can navigate and as well at the end, some tips for parents as well on how to navigate the exam day and just make sure they're minimising their stress and putting their best foot forward. So having done this for over a decade now, it's ticked over a decade of doing this. Um, There are some pretty common trends that we find with students heading into exams. And a lot of what happens around exam day is stress about time management. So running out of time on the exam or not being able to finish it is is a big issue or making sure they're keeping to pace and making sure they're managing their whole day on exam day can be a huge stressor come exam time. Seeking perfection is probably one of the most common. Students hate to make mistakes and they're often seeking that perfect answer, that perfect score as close to, and that can be a source of of stress and anxiousness heading into exams. And as well as just general stressing out, there's a lot of pressure placed on not only VC students, but all students come exam time. Like this is to quantify your intelligence or your abilities and that's how they perceive it even though we know it is a progress check and it is just you know a way to us for us to assess their their progress for them it feels like an assessment of who they are so there's a lot of stress associated with it so hopefully if we can give them tools to navigate these three key areas your time management your perfectionism and and that general stress then we can make the exam day a little smoother And generally speaking, when they're feeling better, their results will be better as well. I guess the first big question is, how should they manage their time during exams? Now, there are multiple different approaches to this. So we have one that we've just 
uh, refined over the years that has the best result for most students. This isn't the only way to approach exams, but it's based on the fact that the concerns students have is missing out on marks. So when they are going through the exams, they're concerned that they're going to miss questions that they could have potentially answered and could have got marks for. And then at the end, they, they obviously are at a disadvantage or don't do as well as they wanted to. So this approach that we're about to outline is essentially based on how can students maximise their marks or get the most amount of marks for the amount of time that they are in the exam, whether they finish or not. So it's a five-step process. And this is something that we encourage parents and teachers to help students practice before they head into exams, practice on their trials, practice when they're doing any set of questions at home. And it's essentially a prioritization exercise. So the first thing to be able to decide or to be able to manage your time, students have to understand how long each question should take. Now, there's a difference between how long it does take and how long it should take. And the should is essentially defined by mark allocation um, within the exam. So if it's a two-hour exam and there's you know 100 marks allocated, so each mark will have a certain amount of time that it should be complete in to finish in time. And based on the VCAR guidelines, here is a rough guideline. It does change from subject to subject, but here is the most generalized rough guideline. And making sure the students are familiar with this is really, really important. So knowing that their multiple choice questions should only take a minute to a minute and a half, knowing that their short answer questions, which are between one and three marks or one and three lines of work required, should only take two to three minutes. Their longer questions should take four to seven. Their extended response questions, which are usually between eight to 10 marks, very common in your humanities subjects like legal, business, health, should be taking closer to 10 to 15. And then an essay, depending on the subject, between 45 and 60 minutes. Now, for some students, this might seem okay. For others, it might be the first time they're really defining their work in this way because a lot of students look at the exam as a whole and say, I have two and a half hours to complete all of these questions, but very rarely actually break down how long each question should take them and therefore how much effort, energy, and time they should put into it. So having an understanding of this is particularly important, but having an understanding of it early means that you can practice operating within these time limits first and not just try it for the first time on exam day, but when you're doing all your trial questions, when you're doing any set of practice questions, actually implementing these time limits. So if you were to just sit down for a short study session of, let's say, 20 multiple choice questions, then you know that should take you roughly 20 to 30 minutes. So you might put a timer on for 25, somewhere right in the middle, 25 minutes and try and get those done. Now, we practice it at home because it's a risk-free environment. So if you finish it in time, great. If you don't, you know that you need to work faster. Whereas in an exam, it's much harder for students to manage their time. So understanding how long things should take them, as well as implementing these time limits even if they're just doing homework questions, is really helpful. I always tell students it's a win-win. If you can implement time limits while you're doing your homework, not only will you probably get your homework done faster, but you're also preparing for those exam conditions. So the first step to being able to manage your time is knowing how you should 
distribute your time. So making sure the students are aware of this, sharing this with them if they aren't. Then the second key is to prioritize. This is also a skill that needs to actually be practiced before exam day. So every exam in VCE and in most other year levels will have between 10 to 15 minutes of reading time. This reading time is designed for students to read through the exams, you know, familiarize themselves with the questions, prepare to answer, and most students will spend their time sort of mentally answering the questions to some capacity. Other students will spend it stressing out a little bit because they've seen one or two questions they don't know and it sets them off a little bit. But how they really should be using it is reading each question and prioritizing where they will start. So understanding which question they will answer first. Now, most students, because they haven't been told or, or advised otherwise, will just answer in chronological order. But this can cause some problems if they get stuck on the first question or the third question or somewhere early on, then it really causes a domino effect of not only their confidence, but their timing for the rest of the exam. So instead, they should be using their reading time to prioritize which questions they'll answer first, and not necessarily in chronological order, but rather the questions that they can most easily tick off and answer should be done first. Now, this is where we usually get some pushback from students. Oh, but I want to do the longest question first, or I heard that this was harder, so I want to get it out of the way and make sure I get it done. And there are lots of you know, different trains of thought here that you could that you could look at, and there are a lot of different justifications for different approaches. But when we're thinking purely about a maximizing the results in the amount of time that we have, at any point in time, you want to have achieved as many marks as possible. So by doing the easiest questions first, in theory, they are the ones that you can do the fastest and most comfortably and most confidently. So you're likely to reach a point where you've done all your easy questions. You still have time left and probably a little bit more time than you're expecting. And your confidence is built up because you've been doing all these questions in a row that you're good at and that you can answer. So we always believe in starting with the easiest questions. But we need to make sure the students know that easiest doesn't mean shortest or doesn't mean quickest or doesn't mean doing the multiple choice before the short answer. It means doing the question that comes most quickly and comfortably to them. Because while some students will feel better with the multiple choice questions, other students have spent weeks preparing for this extended response, final hardest question on the exam. And when they open it, they find it's exactly what they've been preparing for. So I always encourage them to get that out of the way first, because to them, it is the easiest question, despite it maybe not being the shortest or easiest on the exam. So the word easy needs to be defined by how comfortable and prepared they feel to answer. But the idea is that they open the exam after having prioritized the questions in reading time and go through and answer all of those easiest questions. They're building confidence. They're building momentum they're building their sense of competency, and they're locking away all the marks that they know they can get rather than missing out on questions at the end because they've been focusing on a different area. So it'll reach the point where they've probably, hopefully, answered maybe 50 to 60% of the questions quite confidently. And this is where they have to start their next level of prioritizing, which I usually encourage them to actually close the paper and take a breath and then repeat that process again. Open it, 
read the questions that they have not done and organize them from easiest to most difficult and do the next set of easiest questions. Now, by this time, their neural pathways are firing a little bit more. They've seen a lot of the terminology in their other answers and in their multiple choice. So there should be some more questions appearing that they feel confident to answer, but they should reprioritize consistently through the exam just to make sure that they're always securing the marks that they can until finally there will be a few hard questions left. There'll be one or two questions that either VCAR have designed to, you know, differentiate that top five to 10%. There'll always be a couple of questions that are a bit more difficult or questions that they're having mental blanks on that they can't answer right away. But now that's all that they have left. They don't have to worry about missing any other marks anywhere else. And whatever time they have left, they can spend figuring it out. If they get it done, fantastic. If they don't, at least they know that the marks they've missed out on were ones that they were having trouble with, not ones that they could have scored had they prioritized their time better. So these are our five steps. Most of them are done on the day, but understanding how long something should take you is something that they need to know from now. So helping students understand how long they should be spending on each type of question, helping them work towards that, and then practicing this skill of prioritizing on their trials. Because many students, for some reason, either skip reading time on their trial exams or don't take it seriously as an actual exam and don't practice these skills. But time management is the number one cause of, of stress and poor results on the day. So making sure they've got these five steps in place is particularly important, all of which should and can be practiced beforehand. So that's time management. But as we know, that's only one of the stresses of the day. The next one is combating perfectionism. Now, this is not necessarily just in high performers, which it's commonly associated with, you know, the students that want to get 98, 99, 100%. We see it across the board where students have an all-in approach where I know this area very well and this area very poorly. So I'm just going to focus on, you know, either doing really well in the area I know well and not worry about the other one, or they're just going to sort of blanket, give up on the subjects because there are areas they don't know and it can really affect their approach on the day. So it's important. This one is more about rationalizing with the students and, and helping them understand, first of all, that wanting everything to be perfect is not realistic and that perfect in itself doesn't exist. With the exception of maths and multiple choice questions where there is a right or wrong, for almost every other subject, there is no perfect answer. There are suggested answers, there are suggested structures, but there is no perfect response. They are all marked based on an interpretation, based on how the students interpreted it and whether they've ticked the main key criteria of the question. But how they get there can vary. They can use different factors, different examples, different language choices and still get the marks or not get the marks. So helping them actually understand that there is no perfect answer, only answers that are technically correct, helps take the pressure off a little bit because instead of focusing on the really fine how they're, where they're putting their full stops and, and what terminology specifically they're using, they're focusing more on their understanding and then refining after the fact, rather than trying to get straight to this perfect place that doesn't exist. Helping them understand that there is no perfect answer is really important. Secondly, is knowing that the examiners don't give extra marks for pretty writing. 
Now, not to be confused with legibility, because legibility is a very big issue with this, um, with the last few cohorts, because they're using pen and paper less and less. Their, their writing is unfortunately becoming illegible to some degree. But there is also the other extreme of students who write really slowly and put hearts over their eyes and you know, are trying to, to create this, this perfect thing on the page, thinking that that's what the examiners want to see. But rather, a lot of the high scoring responses are scribbled out here and something's added there. And, and really, it's just as long as it is legible, the examiners will be able to give you the marks. So try not to focus too much on it being beautiful and it being pretty but rather on getting the mark, getting the point across and being able to read it is really important. And finally, encouraging them to stick to those time limits kind of weeds out a little bit of perfectionism because as we explained to students, it is easy to have the perfect response when you take half an hour to formulate it. But when you have six minutes, it becomes a bit harder. So rather than focusing on the perfect response, focusing on a response that is complete within the time limit usually weeds out any opportunity to be perfect because they have to operate under those time conditions. But this is very much a, a just rationalizing with them as opposed to encourage uh, letting them continue down this path of seeking perfectionism and helping them understand that answering 100% of the questions and getting 80% right will always be better than only getting through, you know, I say 70%, but sometimes I see students only completing 60 or half of the questions because they're so concerned about every response being perfect. And at that point, it doesn't matter if they're perfect because they still haven't achieved as much as they could have. So they're better off answering all of the questions and missing out on 20% with a mark here and a mark there for not having the perfect response, rather than answering 70% of the questions perfectly, but missing out on the opportunity to show their knowledge in other areas. So hopefully with a bit of rationale and encouraging them to implement those time limits, we can combat perfectionism a little bit there as well. Finally is stress of the day. Now, stress can come from many many different areas. Uh, we like to predominantly define stress as sort of the, the unknown or dealing with the unknown. So anything you don't know can be a source of stress. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going to be on the exam. I don't know how I, if I've done enough. So a lot of combating stress actually comes in the lead up to the day where uh, in our last workshop, we did a roadmap that kind of helps to eliminate a lot of these questions by creating structure for them. But over this week, having a really clear guideline of what can I get done to be as prepared as possible? A lot of the work for stress is done before exams. It's making sure you've put in enough work or they've put in enough work, making sure they feel confident in their abilities, making sure they've exhausted every resource so that when they show up on the day, they don't have the would have, should have, could have mentality of, of all the things they could have done. But at the end of the day, there is still stress that appears when they walk in or before they walk in. And this is a lot of it is you know, mental and, and physiological. It's expectations they have of themselves. It's their body you know, burning out after having studied so hard for a few weeks or the you know, fight or flight <laughs> response as well. Um, coming through. So a lot of what we focus on when we're talking about before, during and after an actual exam is a lot of that quieting down that the mental mess, I guess, in their mind and working on their physiological state. So managing the stress on exam day can be combating catastrophizing, like I'm not ready, 
I'll never be ready for this. I haven't done enough. Feeling nervous, um, which is natural, and there will be very few students who have no nerves at all. And also a level of doubt, right? Doubting their abilities, doubting whether they have done enough, even if they believed up until this point they had, and doubting whether they will get through it, doubting whether they'll finish it on time. There's a lot of these things floating around. And on the day of their exams, there's very little you can do to you know, try and revise any gaps that you have or fix any, any big holes in your knowledge. So all you need to do is learn to manage that mental noise and your physiology. So we have some strategies to help with that. And it starts with before an exam. So really before an exam starts from the night before. So making sure they have a good night routine and, and all of that. But let's focus on the day of the exam. Doing the basics is so important. Eating drinking and going to the bathroom. Now, some students, when I first mention this, will laugh at me a little because I've been telling my year 12 um, students that we're working with for the last two weeks that their physiology is so important and they need to get their sleep right and their eating right and their drinking right. And initially they'll go, yeah, of course. But then they'll realize that when they are thinking about exams and when they are studying, they're not hydrating as much. They might be skipping meals or having quick meals or or not having nutritious meals, they're not even thinking about going to the bathroom before an exam. But what I try to explain to them is at the end of the day, our brain and our body don't really care about exams. It cares about being in the best physiological state and being as you know safe as possible. And its priority is to be hydrated, is to be satiated, and is to not be thinking about its bladder. So if you are neglecting these things while you want to be thinking about the exam and you want to be thinking about the questions, your body is thinking about other things. And your body is the strongest force. Your body and your mind are the strongest forces. And they're not going to allow for you to do complex, critical thinking when all they want to do is eat or drink. So doing the basics is so important. And doing the basics in the lead up to exams, not just on exam day, staying hydrated, eating a hearty meal at least one hour before. Not Try not to do it much closer to exams because then your body will be focusing on digesting during the exam rather than thinking. But having a hearty meal an hour before, which means you've got enough of what nutrition you need or enough resources in your body, whether that be glucose or vitamins or nutritious or nutritions or whatever you need, because you need all of that to be able to think. Now, I'm not a qualified dietitian, nor do I claim to, to know enough about what a hearty meal is. But from what we do know, avoiding anything too high in sugar, because sugar makes your energy levels peak, but then comes with a very steep drop. So avoiding anything too high in sugar or too processed will be good. But depending on your own dietary requirements, just making sure you're having something that makes you feel full and makes you makes your body feel good. Veggies are always good. Just so you're going into that exam ready will be really important. But if you ignore your physiology and your basics, there's nothing that you can do during that exam to focus because your body and your mind will be working against you. So always encouraging them to do the basics and use the bathroom before so they don't get 10 minutes in and suddenly need to use the bathroom. Having a routine or a ritual is really important. And again, something that they can practice in advance. So every time they go to sit a trial, every even every morning um, when they're just starting to study, having some kind of unique routine or ritual 
to get them in the right headspace. Because if they just go from what is normal day-to-day life into this high-intensity exam situation, their brain doesn't really have time to shift and adjust from one environment to another. Now, I say unique rituals. So having set these up with my students over the last couple of weeks, some of them it's walking and listening to Taylor Swift, others it's dancing, others it's working out, um, others it's eating something specific, others it's calling a parent and having them do a little powwow before the exam. So there's no right or wrong answer for a ritual as long as it grounds the students in some way. And the point is to quiet down that brain a little bit and also to cue give your body and your brain a cue that we are about to enter an exam. So by creating this habit and this ritual, every time before you study, every time before you do a trial, your brain will start to make the association that, hey, when we listen to this particular type of music and dance in this particular type of way, we're getting ready to think and execute. Um, So having that routine and ritual in place is not only good for grounding them, but it's good for conditioning the brain to prepare for the exams that are coming up. So encouraging students to create a ritual no matter how weird or strange it is whether it's a power pose or a walk or a dance or a sing or a food it doesn't matter but they need to practice it before not just on the day so in the weeks leading up every time they sit down to study for an exam or every time they sit down for a trial they should try and implement this ritual or routine um, just to start conditioning their brain Breathing is also a particularly important thing to do before exams. Now, depending on sort of what they're used to and what they're being exposed to, some students haven't really been exposed to the benefits of breathing. Others have told me straight up that it's just breathing and it's all woo-woo. But if you take away all the any sort of spiritual connotations with breathing and anything like that, really it comes back to calming your physiological state and bringing us down from that fight or flight state and response to a calmer state. And we know for a fact that when we breathe really heavily, um, really deep into our belly rather, rather than heavily, breathing really deep into our belly, it calms your nervous system. And when your nervous system is calm, it allows you to think clearer and more effectively, which is exactly the state you wanna be in when you're heading into an exam. So we talk about box breaths with the students because we can, help them out with a little bit of a gesture, which is basically breathing in deeply into their belly for four seconds, holding their breath for four seconds, breathing out for four seconds, and then holding for another four. And they can actually trace a box with their finger for each of these stages of the breath, which can be part of their ritual. And if they want to make sure that they're doing it correctly, actually placing a hand on their belly as well, Um, just to feel it actually expanding and then coming back in when they breathe out. Just the act of pausing to do this for, you know, the 16 seconds and hopefully repeating it three to five times, that act of slowing down and consciously pausing will help bring their nervous system down to a more uh, steady and relaxed state. And when the nervous system is relaxed, that's when it allows for creativity and critical thinking. When it is high strung and it's stressed and their heart's beating fast and their mind is racing, they actually will struggle to focus and struggle to draw out the information they need in the exam. So encouraging deep belly breathing. And it is also something they can practice 
in the lead up to exams, before they do all their trials, and even I encourage students to make it part of their routine or ritual before the exam. Another thing to help with the mental clutter is avoiding the pre-exam chatter. This also is in the catastrophizing and doubting yourself category because a lot of students will be in very different stages before heading into the exams. There will be some that are overly confident, some that are the right amount of confident, some that are completely catastrophizing and some that are just there because they have to be. And all of these narratives will be coming out in the 10 to 15 minutes before an exam when everyone's standing outside the exam hall. Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh my God, what did you get for this? Oh my God, have you studied that? Oh, I can't remember what this is. Then other people will be like, oh, this is easy. What's everyone worrying about? And all of these narratives are going to be conflicting and then compared to the student's internal narrative. So I always tell students in that lead up to the exam, put your headphones on or find a quiet corner, do your ritual, have your own you know, little conversation with yourself about the fact that you are ready and you've done everything that you can do to be ready up to this point and avoid that pre-exam chatter because the last thing you want to do or the, the last thing that you want to hear when you're walking into an exam is, oh my God, I'm doomed. This is so hard. I don't get it. And that is the narrative then you're walking into that exam with. So avoiding that or finding someone that has a similar positive, hopefully, narrative to you and spending time with them before the exam or otherwise completely isolating yourself with some headphones and just staying in your own space so that you're not influenced by external voices. So avoiding pre-exam chatter is really important and also avoiding any intense study on the day. So avoiding doing any full practice exams or practice questions on the day because up until this point, first of all, they should back themselves about the work that they've done in the lead up. But also if they are doing questions and they come across a question that's a little bit harder or come across a question they get stuck on, that can cause spiraling because it's the day of and they've come across a question they don't know. There's no way to solve it in time and it can cause a whole unraveling as well as just causing mental exhaustion. So on the day, they want to save most of their mental capacity and energy for the actual exam itself. Now, that's not to say they can't do anything. Um, some light cue card work, you know, verbal discussions with other people, so maybe some light multiple choice questions some students also enjoy doing on the day of exams, but avoiding any intensive study to avoid burnout and to avoid any last minute spiraling that may happen if a question comes up that they don't know. But most importantly, it's really um, contextualizing what this stress is doing to them and the effect that it has, because most students are walking in worrying about getting a bad result. But Poor results don't cause stress. Stress causes poor results. So when you get a bad result, that doesn't make you more stress as much as going in stress will cause the poor result in the first place. So really contextualizing the impact that stress has on them, not from a, oh, calm down, don't be stressed, it's okay, because that's very soft and they don't usually respond well to that, but more the fact that the stress is affecting their physiology, it's, it's affecting their ability to think, it's burning them out, and here are all the ways that we can combat it. So equipping the students with these sort of five uh, skills or techniques before heading into an exam, really the aim is to quiet the mental mess and prepare them physiologically for that exam itself. Now, some students are very good at this, some students less so. But the most important thing is for them to practice this in advance, not just practice the actual exam, but practice the before the exam. But eventually they have to get into the exam 
And this is a whole different set of stresses, less things you can do. You can't just walk away. There are fewer tools that you have to deal with it when you're actually sitting in that exam. So this could manifest in the form of mental blanks. The heart might start racing. Um, sometimes it happens in reading time. They'll read a question and it's harder than they thought. And then all of a sudden they, they might start spiraling. So what can they do during the exam to help? Now, first of all, we've talked about using reading time wisely, which we actually discussed in the, in the time management section. Because prioritizing the questions will help build that momentum and confidence and reduce that stress. But something more recently we've been talking about the students with is managing their expectations. And I told students instead of worrying about those one or two questions that they think they're going to struggle on or not be able to answer, embrace them and know that they're coming. Because when you open your reading time and you're reading the questions, and let's say you come across question four, which is that one topic that you don't quite get or you're struggling to interpret the question. You have options at that point. You can either say, oh my God, I don't know this. What's going on? I can't answer this question. Or you can say, oh, there you are. This is the question that I was expecting to come across that was you know, going to be my one or two more difficult. I will leave you till the end and I'll get to you when I get to you. You're still being exposed to the same question. They're still seeing the question that they can't answer or they might struggle answering but their approach to it or their attitude towards it is different. And this all happens in reading time. So now I encourage my students to celebrate those questions like, oh, I found you. This is the question that I'm going to have trouble with in this exam. I'm going to leave you till last. And practicing that process of celebrating the fact that they found it and identified it is such a small thing, but it's a shift in the way they're thinking about the questions. And as opposed to it causing a spiraling, it will just help them in their process of prioritizing and also make them feel a bit more confident and comfortable in that process. So using the reading time wisely, prioritizing and making sure they know that it's okay if there's something that they're stuck on because we have a plan of attack. We have a plan of attack to leave it until last. And by then we can reassess whether it's still difficult or whether we're going to leave it or how we're going to address it without letting it affect the rest of the performance. So making sure they're using that reading time wisely. Again, so important they practice this before the day. Writing cues on each page is a bit more of a practical approach um, to explain this, that sometimes students make consistent errors that are little minor things. So for example, the examples I've have here is units or quotes. So in maths, a really common error and maths and chemistry and physics, a really common error that is made is that units are not included in the answers. So the student will calculate their answer and they'll put a number, but they'll forget to put the unit as to whether it's grams or liters or kilometers or whatever the unit might be. Uh, another one is quotes, where students will get through most of an essay or an extended response without including quotes or evidence, whether it's in English or history or politics. And these are really common mistakes that are made. If you know that you make this mistake, one thing that you can do is have a little cue. And this was me in chemistry when I was back in school. That was every time I turned a new page in anything I was doing in my homework, in my practice questions, in my exams, I used to write units in big letters on the top of the page. Now, this was a very small thing, a very small cue, but the act of practicing writing units every time in all my practice exams and all my tests, writing units reminded my brain that I need to use units. And when I was checking my answers, 
I was seeing that word at the top all the time and it was helping me eliminate some of these minor problems because a lot of students, particularly when they're worried about perfectionism, write themselves off completely because of these little errors they keep making rather than trying to find a solution to address it. So writing cues on each page. So as soon as reading time is over, you should write cues, uh, units, quotes, whatever your cue might be on the top of the page, just to remind you of those common mistakes that you've been making so that they can hopefully make them a little bit less. If not, at least they know they've done something to try to combat it. Hydration is really important. They are allowed to typically take a clear drink bottle, like a transparent drink bottle with a clear liquid, ideally water, and keep hydrated during their exam. Most students underestimate the power of hydration, but the first symptom of the most the lowest level of dehydration is a lack of focus. And during the exam, that's probably the one time in the year that they need their focus more than anything. So encouraging them to stay hydrated. Um, again, this comes with practice. When you're setting up your exam environment each day, put your bottle next to you, your bottle, your pen, the exam paper, and practice taking a big gulp of water before you start, just to make sure you're not uh, putting yourself in a point at a point of disadvantage just because you haven't hydrated during that exam. So hydration is so, so important for their physiological state. I put breathing here again, because sometimes students express that they're in the middle of the exam and their, their heart tightens or it beats too fast or their hands get sweaty and there's not really anything that they can do or anywhere that they can go. So I usually tell students to close the paper, take a deep, deep breath and just center themselves again. 16 seconds or you know, 32 seconds that they're going to take if they repeat it twice is not going to affect their ability to complete the exam. If anything, centering themselves is going to help them proceed. So remind them that breathing is a tool that you can use anywhere, which is why it's one of the most effective stress relief tools, because you always have it with you. So that deep belly breathing is something that you can also help students practice at home or at school. Um, if you see a student getting in a bit of a tense state or even an unfocused state or whatever it might be, just get them to practice those deep belly breaths. And again, closing the paper. Close the paper, take two, two seconds, two minutes, whatever you need, and just stop. Because staring at the problem or staring at what's cause, causing stress and flicking through and then tapping your pen and all of that is just heightening the stress. And it's just further causing more mental noise and, and lack of focus. So actually taking a second to close the paper and just take a breath, take a sip of water, take a moment and even go back to reprioritizing the questions once you decide to reopen it or at least just re-enter in a slightly calmer state is so important. So a lot of times I have to tell students you have to slow down to get further and they actually need to take a second to step back. Because without slowing down, you're going to stay in that tense state and you're more likely to miss a lot more and get a lot more stress than if you were just taking two minutes to, to stop and take a breath. So breathing, closing the paper, having a sip of water, all of these things during are tools that they can use during the exam. So not all hope is lost once the exam starts. And finally, after the exam. Now that's more reflective stress. Did I do enough or did I get that wrong? Or I don't know if I, I didn't finish in time. I don't know how I went. All of this reflective stress and it can really weigh down on them. They've, they've put so much hype into these exams only for it to now be over 
and all of the work that they've put in all year has just come crashing down and it's all finished. So there's a lot of feelings that they need to deal with there. First of all, we're going to also avoid the post-exam chatter because at this point, there's going to be students going, that was so easy or that was so hard or uh, what did you get for that question or what did you get for this question? And this can cause a whole lot of spiraling for the student and they might start to question, oh, I didn't get that for that answer or I didn't get that for that. And the reality is no student is going to know what's correct or incorrect. And they might hear five different responses to the same question and all of a sudden start doubting what they've done. But the reality is there's nothing that can be done at this point. So avoiding post-exam chatter, just again, just walking out, streamlining out or only talking to people that you know are going to be calm, going to be confident and going to help those feelings um, of maybe a little bit of doubt. Doing a bit of reflection. Now, this is particularly helpful between exams because wallowing in what went wrong is not necessarily helpful, but channeling that into what went well and what do I need to do better? I was able to finish in time, but I wish I had known a few more definitions or I didn't finish in time. So I probably need to reprioritize better. How will I achieve this? Well, I have two days before my next exam. So maybe I could practice doing some more timed questions or I could practice doing something else. So having a bit of moment of active reflection, I always encourage my students to take either a note on their phone or a little notebook with them to exams. Handwritten is always a bit more therapeutic and actually reflect on the exam and what's happened and just channeling any doubt or uncertainty they have into a a constructive reflection is really helpful. And this might be something that needs to be facilitated. Ideally, they're doing it independently, but it could be something that's facilitated by a friend, a teacher, or a parent. Reminding them that what's done is done. And this is even hard for adults to understand a lot of the time, but not wallowing on what's happened because there is absolutely nothing they can do to change the results and tell them that the time is going to pass between now and results anyway. So they'll need to wait these three or four weeks until results come out. Would they rather have those three three or four weeks wallowing or the three or four weeks enjoying the fact that exams are finished and they can relax and they can They can feel a sense of relief and just trying to explain to them that whatever feelings they're having now are not constructive and can't change anything. And while it does feel like, you know, the end of the world for some students, reminding them that they've put in the work, they need to back themselves and back their abilities and back all the work that they put in in the the whole year leading up to the exam. And now they just need to have some faith in how they performed because no amount of stressing is going to change the results. Uh, taking a break is also particularly important after exams. So uh, a lot of students, particularly when they have back-to-back exams uh, repeated, like uh, an exam on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they'll feel like they need to straight away dive into the next exam study. But taking a few hours to unwind and relax after an exam is really important because you've just put your body and your mind through a bit of a pressure cooker situation where you've said for two hours, you exclusively need to focus on this. The stakes are high you're stressing, you're thinking, um, and it's quite intense and it does take quite a toll. So actually having a couple of hours of unwinding and just doing nothing school related before entering your revision. Some students will unfortunately have two exams on the same day and not be afforded this luxury. But for others who don't have an exam the same day, taking a couple of hours to unwind will be particularly important. 
And finally, treating themselves. So go for their favorite meal, go shopping. They need a hit of serotonin or dopamine at this point because it has likely all been depleted in their state of high adrenaline and stress. Their serotonin and dopamine levels will be particularly low, which means it's only facilitating the feelings of stress rather than helping them combat it. So doing something, whether it's their favorite meal or shopping or a movie and telling them that they deserve to take a bit of a break will really help just reset their body and combat what they've just been through. It's a little bit hard because we'll never really know exactly what's going on inside their head and and how defeated they're feeling. So all we can do as, as parents or students or teachers or whoever we are around this student is give them as much opportunity to sort of reflect and reset and facilitate that by not being too overbearing or not asking too many questions, which I guess brings us to our final thing is, I guess, a role for the parents after these exams. You want what's best for them. Most parents know that it's not just the students who go through VCA, the parents go through it with them and the ups and the downs and the stress and the bad results and the good results. But one of the least constructive things you can do is ask 20 questions. How did you go? Did you know everything? Did you finish? How do you think you went? What score do you think you got? All of these questions are just going to contribute to the chatter that they've got going on in their own mind that's probably bringing them down and they're probably worried about. And rather, we need to take an approach of supporting and facilitating their resetting resetting their physiological state, their mental state, and resetting their energy levels because they have to do this again in a couple of days and a couple of days after that. They have to do you know, at least five exams, if not more. So instead, we should be asking questions that are more supportive. So how are you feeling? Leave it open-ended and see what they will say. Some students will be really open. I'm feeling stressed. I don't think I finished it. I don't think I did enough. And then the next question should always be, is there anything I can do for you? Or alternatively, they'll give you nothing, which a lot of other students do. How are you feeling? Yeah, fine. Yeah, good. Whatever. It's done. The next question should also be, is there anything I can do for you? We want to facilitate their resetting of everything. And we want to be supportive as opposed to contributing to their stress post-exams. So as a parent or as a teacher, I know it's very, very tempting. And even as a coach, when we're working with them, it's very, very tempting to ask a thousand questions. Our job is a little bit different. We do try to ask them, get them to reflect a little bit. But the last thing they need is to walk into the house or to get a phone call five minutes after an exam with 20 questions. So just try to be supportive. Um, They will typically come to you if they feel like you aren't pushing too much, they will come to you with how they're feeling. But other things you can do is ask them, you know, what do you want to eat? Maybe you prepare one of their favorite meals following an exam and just make that as easy as possible because regardless of how the exam went, there is nothing anyone can do about it. That's how the parents also come into play. So before and during is very much about focusing on leveling the physiological state It's very much focusing on making sure your body and your mind are in check, breathing, hydration, food, and avoiding anything negative like that chatter. And then after is really about resetting, bringing yourself back down from that high-strung state into a more relaxed state, which will allow you to repeat the cycle or repeat head into another exam a few hours or days later. So that's really how we're going to work to minimize stress on the day of exams. 
So I think that went very quickly or relatively quickly for me. I don't know how it felt for you, but um, any any questions that came up through that? You know what? I always have questions and you always answer them. <laughs> so my last question was going to be about uh, what can parents do? And of course, as always, Deanna, <laughs> beautifully covered, beautifully covered. So thank you very much. That was, uh, as always, useful and very, um, very on message. So I'm hoping that parents who are watching this in the replays are able to take away some of this practical wisdom and steer their steer their students and their, their children in the right way. It's always really lovely having you with us, Deanna. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, folks, that's a wrap for tonight. And uh, we look forward to seeing Deanna again soon. Please join me in thanking Deanna Dow and uh, thank you everyone for joining us and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye now. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sidney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.